everyone, and welcome to Talk to Be Well with Providence St. Joseph Health. I'm your host, Dr. Robin Henderson, bringing you a real conversation on youth mental health topics with the people that know best, teens. Joining me today are Vivian and Leah from the Be Well Student Advisory Council. We are also happy to welcome Zakia and Finn, volunteers from Youthline, a peer-to-peer crisis and support helpline. Our discussion today is about school shootings, what students think, the fears they have, and what we can do about it. Remember, everyone, if you have additional questions about this subject or mental health overall, we can be found at Wellbeing Trust on Twitter and Facebook. Speaking of social, be sure to follow our podcast at hashtag talk to be well. That's hashtag talk, the number two, be well. You can also follow the Be Well Student Advisory Council on Instagram at work to be well. That's at work, the number two, be well. I'm a psychologist and the chief executive of behavioral health for Providence State Joseph Health in Oregon. I'm also the clinical liaison for Wellbeing Trust, an organization working to improve the mental, social, and spiritual health of the nation. Before we start, I want you to know that the information provided during this podcast is for educational purposes only. You should always consult your healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment in general. Now let's get started first by welcoming our panelists to the show. Thank you for joining us today. Can you each share a little bit about yourself and your roles with Be Well and Youthline? I'm Leah, and I got involved with the Be Well campaign through OASC. I am the co-director of the strategy committee, so I help with the vision of the campaign. Hi, I'm Vivian. I'm a sophomore. I got involved with Be Well through a liaison from iHeart. Uh, hi, my name is Finn Jacobson. I'm a freshman. Uh, I'm also a volunteer at Youthline, uh, which I started with in about August. Um, I'm Zakia. I'm a volunteer at the Oregon Youthline. I'm also a lead volunteer, and I've been working there for about two years. I'm a senior. So we're going to talk about something that's really tough to talk about, but something that's really present in the mm-hmm. lives of today's teens. School shooting, and I want to lead off with some facts. In 2018, there were 97 school shooting incidents in the United States. This was a huge uptick from the second largest occurrence in 2006 of 56 shootings. That's almost five times the number of shootings since 1970. So when we're looking at this huge uptick in school shootings, that's got to be really difficult for you as today's students to be dealing with. Mm -hmm. How often do you hear about school shootings? Uh... Every day. I mean, and I'm not exaggerating when I say that. I hear conversation or the term school shooting or discussion at least once every day, if not more. And it's not even, I don't think, discussion about specific incidents. I think it's Mm -hmm. just the lingering fear that every high schooler or just person who attends school in the United Mm -hmm. States have where it's like this kind of cloud that just follows you around every day at school. And it's kind of like this overhanging threat for every young person. Mm Mm-hmm. No, I definitely agree. School is a, like a place where children come like every day for like 12 years, you know, or not even, wow, okay, for 12 years or maybe even more. But then when things like school shootings happen, it's like you're unsafe now. Like there's mm-hmm. nowhere you can be safe except for home. And some kids don't even have a home, you know. Mm-hmm. And so school being their little haven and then that security being taken away, mm-hmm. it's just terrifying. You know, 57% of U.S. teens say they're at least somewhat worried about the possibility of a school shooting happening at their school. And one in four say they're very worried. Mm -hmm. About 29% say they're not too worried about it. And 13% say they're not worried at all. But I'm somehow thinking 
That's not the case. Because what I'm hearing from all of you is that you're all really concerned. Mm -hmm. How much fear is there about school shootings? I think in reference to those statistics, one thing that I kind of want to point out is that I think that sometimes active concern can be overtaken by this kind of apathy. And I think mm -hmm. that for a lot of young people, we're growing up in a climate where school shootings are so common, we forget that they're not supposed to be common. Mm -hmm. It's like this thing we hear about so often, and it's such a part of our news cycle and our day to day that it can kind of become removed from us. And we can't really step back and see like what is going on kind of we're desensitized to it mm -hmm. i mean yes, it's it's horrifying that you know youth and what so many people consider the greatest country in the world have to go go through this every day and to the fact where we can become desensitized to this issue like you know i could die you know today or tomorrow never walk out of those school doors that's really unfortunate I think going along with that and desensitization, I think another part of it is just completely ignoring it or just if, if it scares you so much, you're just like, oh, that's just not a possibility. And just so I think um, some people are still in denial and they just like choose to actively like not think about it and just try to put it out of their minds. So it sounds like that period of desensitization almost sounds a lot like how we feel about car accidents. You know, car accidents are a very normal thing that happened for us now. We've we've accepted that because most people do die in things like car accidents and automobile accidents. But when you actually say it out loud that we're thinking school shootings are normal, how does that, what do you think about that? I just think it's so indicative of how integral guns have become to our national identity and our culture that we can't even imagine what our worlds would look like without them. Because I think that that's the thing is we talk about guns so often and we think about guns so often we kind of forget that they're guns, sort of. It's They're like this other sort of almost like intangible thing for some people where it's just sort of like that's there, that's always been there, that's going to continue to be there. There's no other possibility, sort of, for this situation. It's just guns are here, guns are going to stay here for a lot of people. You know, it's really interesting that you bring up the topic of guns. I think there was a lot of really fervor in the nation after the Parkland shootings about gun safety and about guns. I'm wondering if, if that's something that, that any of you have noticed around here. Uh, so yeah, after the Parkland shooting, uh, that was my wake up call uh, to start uh, my activism around gun safety. Um, that, that led me to help plan the March for Our Lives. But you know, it, w something that I've kept with me since I started down this path, which I've been on for a little over a year, is that I shouldn't have to be doing this, you know, kids, I mean, it's great to, to be involved in the legislative process and to be involved in politics, but we shouldn't have to feel like we have to do something because the adults have failed to protect us. And that is what I felt. I, I completely agree. It's, it's the lawmakers in this case have failed us. Mm -hmm. And so we're in a position where we have to kind of take up action ourselves. And I think that that's completely unfair and just completely like absurd that this is a fight that we as young people have to take up as opposed to the lawmakers whose job it is to keep their citizens safe and their constituents safe. Um, coming from Oregon City, there was a lot of debate. Um, some people wanted to blame it completely and solely on mental health. Um, other people just like within our community and our school um, thought it was more of a gun issue. And so I think we definitely um, clashed over that. Um, there were students in our school who wanted to 
organize a walkout about it and we had some feedback of okay but just don't make it about like guns like let's just have you like just school safety like we'll just have it be about school safety um, and so we kind of had to <laughs> change it a little bit um but we still ended up like going through with that and so we had um orange ribbons that were pinned on and then we registered people to vote and kind of just talked about people's like feelings about it which was helpful and it was um like good like rally sort of but it's still i i just wish that people would be more understanding and open um from both sides about how to tackle the issue because one thing that is certain is that there's action that like needs to be taken regardless of where you stand on it. Well, I think there's a lot more we need to talk about, especially in relationship to the policies and the differences between the gun safety argument, the mental health argument. But we're about need time for a break. So this is Talk To Be Well, and we'll be right back. <laughs> that the opinions shared here today were the opinions of our very brave students and they don't represent the opinions of their schools, Providence St. Joseph Health, Wellbeing Trust, Youthline, or anyone else who may be affiliated with this podcast. And we're back with Talk To Be Well and our guests today talking about school shootings and talking really about that interface between gun safety and mental health. You know, most students who are involved in a school shooting were either current or former students from that school. And there's always the conversation about mental health services, peer support, often bullying comes into the mix. Mm -hmm. All of these are factors that, that are talked about in the days after a school shooting. And I'm wondering what kind of thoughts you have around what has changed in our schools that perhaps people are feeling more left out, are feeling more isolated. What are you saying? I think that this is kind of, um, in my view, this is kind of a dangerous correlation to make between kind of, it's kind of the lone, it's the lone wolf argument. And I kind of just don't buy it. And I don't agree with how this correlation is so often drawn because in my view, it just stigmatizes mental health more and it steers the conversation away from gun legislation. And I think that when especially public figures and politicians make these arguments. They're not doing it in good faith. They're doing it to move the conversation away from gun legislation towards something else that's easier for them to talk about. I completely agree with Zakia. Um, I think that, you know, it, it becomes such an issue of let's, let's run away from, you know, concrete change and let's, let's focus on something else that you know, we can just talk about and, and not do anything about. And the argument can be made that, you know, that there is a problem with, uh, with isolation and bullying in our schools. But what we're most often seeing is that many, many of these incidents can and should be prevented uh, by, you know, eliminating the source of the problem. And of course, that is our society allowing guns to fall into the wrong hands. Um, we as students, you know, uh, we have a lot to learn, sure, about uh, 
about supporting our peers uh, mentally, but it also gets in uh, to that area of victim blaming, right? Like mm-hmm. it, it, it kind of, um, it places the blame on the students uh, when in reality, you know, it's, it's a lot harder, especially when you're not trained to be able to recognize uh, signs of, of feelings like this. Um, and it's hard to expect students, all students as a collective whole to be able to recognize and intervene with that appropriately. I'm bouncing off of what Finn said. The Parkland shooting was followed by the hashtag walk up, not walk out, which was um, basically a response to saying that the perpetrator of the Parkland shooting was bullied by his classmates, when in reality he was ostracized by his classmates because he had expressed violent ideas and had harassed female, his like fellow female students. And so I think that it's important that we have, like Finn said, it's important that we have these conversations about bullying and loneliness and isolation, but that is a separate conversation from the one about mental, from the one about school shootings. Now, these are really good points, and I, and I really appreciate that refocus in the, in the conversation about victim blaming, because you're right. There's a difference between, between ostracizing someone because they have those types of beliefs and, and, things that are not appropriate, especially in a school area, and somebody who's being bullied, and I think, or is the bully themselves. These are very, very different pieces. And I appreciate that reframe around the hashtag walk up versus hashtag walk up, walk out. I wonder if you want to go in a little bit more, what exactly do you mean when they change the hashtag? Well, the hashtag walk up, not walk out was basically saying that instead of walking out of your schools, you should walk up to someone who's being bullied and hang out with them, which I mean, of course you should do that, but that's not going to minimize school shootings. There's bullying and isolation of teenagers in every high school and middle school everywhere in the world, but every high school and middle school in the world doesn't seem to see the same rates of school shootings that United States schools do. There's a very clear difference between those two conversations. And if bullying was the cause of school shootings, we would see a lot more queer school shooters and a lot more shooters that are people of color and a lot more shooters from marginalized groups, but we don't. So there's a clear difference there that isn't being acknowledged. And I want to bounce off of that by saying that, um, you know, a lot of these shooters, uh, on the contrary to what Zakia mentioned, um, groups that are more subject to bullying, rather we're seeing, uh, you know, we're seeing a pretty, uh, common uh, pattern and that it's traditionally uh, white um, males who often lean towards some um, far right uh, standpoint, either whether that be white supremacy, you know, intense homophobia, all of those things connected to what we often associate a perpetrator of bullying. You know, that's a really good point. One of the things that we always hear after school shootings are the people who come in and say, yeah, I saw these warning signs. Yeah, I knew that. Because they knew just exactly, Finn, what it is that you're talking about. These were people who were displaying behaviors, not the behaviors of, of being bullied and, and things like that, but the behaviors of bullying themselves and other types of warning signs. What do you think when you hear uh, students and people come out afterwards and say, yeah, I saw the warning signs. Yeah, I, th- I, I heard the rumors. Yeah, I did this. I know we've established hotlines and numbers you can call, but I hear mixed reviews on those types of of approaches. What do you all think? 
it um, kind of infuriates me because if you see a signing, why didn't you do anything? I know that going out of your way, out of your own, taking the time out of your own life to go help someone else that you might or might not even know is really hard. But if you saw the signs to that point of extreme or to that extreme point, then why didn't you do anything? Like, it infuriates me how people come out and say, oh, I knew he was going to do it, or I had a feeling. It's just the same thing with suicides. Oh, like, she looked kind of off, but I didn't, I wasn't sure. Oh, she showed some signs, but I wasn't sure. Like, if you're not sure, then go ask. Go have a simple conversation. If you think they're about to do something violent or violent to someone else, or even if they're straight up saying it, and if they're joking, sit down with them and have a conversation. Be like, are you being serious? Like, are you okay? Like, what do you need? What can I do for you? It infuriates me to know that people are coming out saying, oh, I kind of knew, but I wasn't sure. Like, repeating myself, I just, it makes me so mad because I don't understand why people can't just sit down and have a simple conversation, even if it's somebody that you don't know. Yes, it's time consuming. Yes, it's awkward. But if... It happened more often. I think that things like gun laws, things like bullying, it might even lessen. Kind of if you see something, say something, right? Exactly. I mean, of course, I totally agree with what you're saying, but I think it's also important to keep in mind that, I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty, And I think that mm -hmm. really the people who should be having conversations with people and noticing these signs are probably teachers. And that's probably another kind of training that teachers should receive. If we're not going to restrict access to guns, then that is the logical next step for teachers to have the training to be able to recognize these students. Because I don't think it's fair to put students in a position where they're the ones that have to speak up and say something or bring it up to the student and potentially put themselves in danger. Well, speaking of teachers, this has been a common co uh, topic of conversation. Should teachers carry guns in schools? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> honestly, I mean, what, what I really see here is, again, we've been talking about the issue of legislators deflecting uh, the issue of gun safety and uh, gun safety legislation. What they don't realize is that the problem, yes, it's about guns and it's about school shootings, but even broader, it's about wanting to feel safe in our schools, and that comes from knowing that there isn't violence in your school. If we combat violence, with vi if we fight fire with fire, then that's not going to make us feel any safer than if, if we didn't do anything. I mean, that's, if anything, that's going to worsen the problem. And also, if your response to school shootings happening, if your response is to bring... 50 more guns into that school and give them to people who probably have no kind of gun safety training that's ridiculous like that's actually ridiculous and the also the fact that we're putting this enormous burden on teachers like to be our educators and then also to be our police officers and our oh, protectors yeah. that's that's absolutely ridiculous it's it's almost it feels dystopian mm -hmm. the idea that our teachers have to would have to possibly carry guns in order to defend off someone else who also has a gun like there's a really easy solution here and it's just 
don't give anyone a gun. <laughs> this is not the price for a free society. Yes. Kids dying is not what we pay to live in a free society because you see countries all over the world where this is virtually not an issue and their societies are just fine. I think that's a really interesting point because uh, recently we did see a, a shooting in Christchurch and shortly after that they came out with a ban on assault rifles as a country and that's something that has not necessarily been been a thing here. Um, is there ever really a reason to carry around an AK-47? No, I don't think so. Absolutely not. And, you know, AK-47s, I mean, they, I, it's, it's mainly what we're seeing the issue with is um, semi-automatic, which, uh, of course, uh, presents itself in the form of AR-15s, um, you know, etc. Uh, and, uh, but the fact is, is that an AR-15... Uh, still still fires a limit of rounds which is far more than anybody will ever need. Far more than you would need to hunt a deer. Yes. If you need more rounds to hunt a human than you need to hunt an animal, then I think that's a problem. Well, I think when we come back, we're going to have a little conversation about one of the phenomena that has come out of this school shooting, which is school shooter drills. I've heard a lot about school shooter drills lately, and there's a lot of talk about what happens in those. These are things that are very uh, endemic in your lives. Back in the day in my life, it was earthquake drills, nuclear fallout drills, things like that. We've all had our drills. But I think school shooter drills are a little bit different, and I'd like to talk about that when we come back on Talk to Be Well. <music> remind everybody that the opinions shared here today were the opinions of our very brave students and they don't represent the opinions of their schools, Providence St. Joseph Health, Wellbeing Trust, Youthline, or anyone else who may be affiliated with this podcast. And I want to welcome you all back to Talk to Be Well, where we're talking about school shootings and remind everybody that, that the opinions that we're talking about here are at times very controversial and they are the opinions of the students who are sharing them and don't reflect the opinions of any organization or school attached to any of us. So I want to start with some statistics. 95% of schools reported that they had drilled students on lockdown procedures and 92% had drilled students on evacuation procedures. I'm going to take that to mean that all of you have experienced a school shooter drill at some time in your life. And I would really love for our listeners who may not have experienced this Tell us about what that's like. It's really sad that we have to go through these now. But I feel like drills are drills. They're just pretend, quote unquote. You know, like you have to 
visualize, visualize a shooter coming in through one or two exits. And then you have to look around and find things you can either throw or an exit you can take. But in my opinion, I feel like they don't really work. Like, uh, if you're in a school, if there's an active shooter in your hall, you're not going to sit calmly and just find something to throw. No, nobody's going to sit there calmly. We're either, I feel like in my point of view, it's just you either panic and you run or you sit and you hide. Like, there's nothing you can do. You will never know how it feels to, in any kind of drill, how it feels to have a shooter right in front of you until it happens. And that's so sad because in a split second, you will do something that you never would have expected. Like, you could have done. Like, you could have charged at the um, shooter and you wouldn't have done that before. You could literally sit there and cry. But then in a drill, you'll say, oh, I'll take this and I'll take this and I'll throw it at them. No, you can never expect it to happen and like the things that you do at the last school at the last drill that I had I almost started crying it was like you'll never go through the pain that Parkland victims had to go through like you'll never go through that experience until it happens to you and you'll never have to you you can never predict how you will react or how other people will react in the outcome of it and so that's how I feel like drills don't really do anything besides start a conversation and that's amazing but it's so sad that we can't do anything to prevent it furthermore um i will throw in uh there is no set protocol in the state at the state level for these lockdown drills it's a school district or even school by school basis uh for example uh my district uh when we have a lockdown drill first you turn off the lights and then, before they shut the blinds and lock the door, every student in the classroom has to find something sharp in the room in the event that they have to defend themselves. You were talking scissors, staplers, paper clips. And then they lock the doors, and we sit. And we're holding these scissors, but sitting in a lockdown drill, I'm thinking, if somebody comes in with a gun, my scissors aren't going to do anything um and i know kids i uh, kids that i work with in uh the youth gun safety activism world uh who as soon as as soon as that announcement about a lockdown drill comes on it panic attack it it hits instantly and it's severe and it's something that pulls them out of class Mm -hmm. maybe even two um you know I've I've taken contacts on Youthline about this this fear and this anxiety around lockdown drills, and it's something that I feel very deeply as well. And every time I feel like something else happens with the lockdown drill that just gets me going, and you know I I just feel like I need to like retreat into this little like hole like for a long time where I just. It's so hard to have to go through this on a monthly or even bi-monthly basis. Leah, what are school shooter drills like at your school? Um, we've had lockdown drills, and um, 
I would say nobody really takes them seriously. They're more of a joke at our school, just like how fire drills are. So we'll go into a classroom um, and just sit in the corner, try to like not be able to be seen by a window. And then we just kind of wait for like the all clear and then we just kind of like, go on with our day. Um, and so I think it does, if anything, like incite fear. Um, but I would have to agree with um, what's been said that that's the only thing that it does. I don't think it prepares us. I don't think it's super um effective in any way i think it just says incite fear or even make a make it more of like a a joke or like oh haha like what if this happened or like oh yeah i'm gonna come and like shoot up the school you know and it just incites conversation but not in a positive way no i exactly agree i feel like at my school you do it in one class it's either period two or period six that's only one class out of the eight days or out of the eight periods in a day and that doesn't even count for passing time how my school set is set up, we have multiple buildings. We have, like, seven buildings. So we have to walk from building to building through a breezeway. So it's, it's like, a driveway for buses. And then we have, like, a little um, overcover for a breezeway from the north to the south. And okay. I can never explain the feeling I had when I found – when the day of the, um, the Parkland shooting. So I was in my student council class. And we got multiple texts from people of, like, our loved ones. And be like, are you okay? Because they thought that it was our school because of the, our name, David Douglas. And I remember this one text. This girl, my, this girl, um, she got a text from her best friend. And, like, she started calling, like, spamming, calling them. And was just, she was, like, on the phone crying. She was like, are you okay? Like, what's happening? And, like, oh, it was so... We had no idea that there was a school shooting at the time, but coming out of it that next week, there were police officers everywhere. I don't know if it happened at any any other school, but it wasn't just our SROs, but it was many, many officers. Like you, in a school environment, you should never have to see a police officer on campus. Like I feel like that just incites fear. It creates more tension than there already um than there already is and just walking down a hall going to math and seeing a police officer come out of nowhere with guns and tasers on his belt that's so terrifying um i had my first like lockdown intruder drills that i guess were active shooter drills when i was in kindergarten um so i was basically five to six years old and they, our teachers turned off all the lights in the classroom, locked the doors, and just told us to sit in the corner of the room that was farthest away from all of the windows and just be as quiet as possible. And I just think that it's, in retrospect, it is absurd that we're teaching five- and six-year-olds what to do if someone with a gun comes into their building because we've just accepted it as kind of an inevitable and now, I mean, I have the, like in high school, you know, you have the kind of cognitive ability to be able to remember that this is a drill, this isn't real, this isn't happening right now. But I don't think, you know, five to seven year olds have that ability. And I remember every time a lockdown drill would happen, I would just cry. I would just sit there and just cry. And there's nothing that our teachers could do. And it was just 
a part of our life at the school was just that this happened and a couple times a year you have to sit in a dark corner of a classroom as quiet as you can and basically hope that whatever is happening goes away and I think that the fact that I had those same drills and that same experience from age five to 18 is ridiculous. Nothing has changed in 13 years. Kids are still dying in their schools. People are still dying all the time from gun-related injury, and nothing has changed. The only thing we've done is made our lockdown drills more severe and more intense. That's the only difference. You know, in January of 2019, during an active shooter training drill in Indiana, law enforcement officials reportedly ordered teachers to turn around and crouch and then shot them with plastic pellets, leaving the educators bruised and bloodied. As a result, the teachers' union called for an amendment prohibiting drills that include shooting at teachers. This is where we're going. When you look at those types of results, what do you want to tell school administrators about school shooter drills? And do you think school shooter drills will save lives. No. I'm going to say no. <laughs> going to like go out on a limb and say that they've been commonplace for so long. I don't think they've really helped anyone. And most of what they teach us is common sense. If someone with a gun comes into your school, hide. You know, that's it. The, the the thing is, whoever allowed that to happen, like, with those teachers, I just, I hope they were fired. I hope that they faced punishment for appro approving something that horrific. Uh, it gets into, you know, I, I was thinking as you said that, of course, they submitted an amendment. Why would they need to submit an amendment for teachers not to be abused in their place of work? That's, I, I would assume we were farther than that. Um... I do not remember my first lockdown drill. Um, I've, they've been around for as long as I can remember. But there are prominent moments that I remember all throughout kind of, you know, growing up in, you know, the public school system. The first one I was in, uh, I think, kindergarten, first grade, maybe, the Clackamas Town Center shooting. They brought us into a room and they ran us through what had happened and told us that it could happen here. Again, I don't know who was approved to tell kindergartners that they could get shot up in their schools, but it's, it happened. Seventh grade, we had a lockdown drill and everyone was dead silent. And you know, all of a sudden, this kid laughs just like, and it's not even like a loud laugh. It's like, you know, just like a kind of chuckle, like a giggle. From across the room, my teacher, I think it was a, my science teacher, she says with a monotone voice, if this were real, you would be dead. So I think that there's an issue with these lockdown drills, not only in the way that they're set up, but in what's being told to these kids, to us. And things like this that have happened have invoked a fear and anxiety in me about this issue for as long as I can remember. Every child born after Columbine knows what a lockdown drill is, knows what a gun is, knows what a school shooting is. 
And that's not a world I want to live in. And that's certainly not a world I want my children to grow up in. I agree. Um, I completely agree. I think that the conversation within schools and like what we tell kids and how we train them needs to be um, drastically different. I know within my own school, we haven't had too many conversations about it. What we did do was we now have it so where in the mornings and after school, the only doors that are unlocked are the main doors and every other door is locked. So if you want to come in through that entrance, someone needs to either open it for you, which they discourage, or they'll have um, like our like some staff like opening doors for people to come in. Um, but that too just like incites fear and just kind of is like a daily reminder of like why they're locked. I also okay. think that it's kind of crazy how we're doing things like shooting teachers with paintball pellets and all of this um and our lockdown drills are getting more and more ridiculous to kind of combat this issue that's not going away instead of turning our efforts towards pushing more common sense gun legislation and more gun control because that's the only thing that's going to fix this lockdown drills they're not preventative they're just a way for us to protect ourselves basically from what we've decided is inevitable when we know it's not we know from the rest of the world that these aren't inevitable this is a phenomenon in the united states this is a united states phenomenon and we know what makes it a united states phenomenon and it is our culture around guns and how our national identity and our national pride is so interconnected with guns and we need to separate those from each other and we need to push that legislation and that's how we prevent five-year-old kids from having to sit in a dark classroom and think about how if they giggle they might get shot by someone so this has been a really hard section to talk about and i want to remind people that if this is triggering emotions for you there are resources to help you i would encourage you to reach out to the youth line for peer-to-peer -peer crisis support. You can call 1-877-968-8491 or text teen to teen. That's teen, the number two teen, to 839-863. This is Talk To Be Well, and we'll be right back. <laughs> I want to remind everybody that the opinions shared here today were the opinions of our very brave students, and they don't represent the opinions of their schools, Providence St. Joseph Health, Wellbeing Trust, Youthline, or anyone else who may be affiliated with this podcast. And we're back with Talk to Be Well and our guest today, Vivian Leah Zakia, 
and Finn. And we're talking about school shooter drills. We had a pretty intense last segment talking about what it's like to be in a school shooter drill. And I'm wondering what happens after a school shooter drill? Do, do people come around and help you process out how you're feeling? You know, you talked about people having panic attacks and anxiety. Do we deal with that? Is there any trauma informed response to what happens to students kindergarten through high school when you are in a school shooter drill? The fact is, is that there is very little um, of what you mentioned. Uh, nobody comes in. They expect us after a lockdown drill to get right back to what we were doing. Sometimes they happen in the middle of tests. And there is no, at least in my school, uh, there are not, you know, trauma-informed professionals that will come in and say, you know, this is this is a really intense thing that just happened. You know, if you need support, kids are not only not getting that support, but being expected to then continue with their school day without the proper, you know, debrief. In a previous segment, we were talking about desensitization, uh, that this whole idea of, you know, we're getting used to it. Now, that kind of happens with lockdown drills, but it's still, it's it's not something that, that's something you can't get used to is your school day being interrupted. And I would really like to see, um, you know, more protocol and more, and more training, because if there's not a protocol, which I, which I mentioned, there's no, there's no training for teachers on how to follow a non-existent protocol. So there needs to be, it's imperative that there is more training, more preparation, and more support offered to kids, more resources offered to kids after they go through something like this. I think the word drill, it doesn't, it doesn't invoke any like, oh, this is super important. It, it's kind of, for my school, at least it's like practice. It's pretend it's just a run through. It's not that serious. And then right afterwards, some, some teachers don't even know there's a drill. Like some kids, it'll go off and then the announcements will go off and just be like, oh, this is a drill, don't worry. But then right after we're done hiding in a corner or whatever, there will be one or two police officers, sometimes not even an officer, sometimes like a dean. He'll come in and just be like, do you have any questions? No? Okay, have a good day. Like what kind of... It's the word drill. I feel like it needs to be changed. It's not a drill. It's not pretend. It's not... Don't... It's not fake if that makes sense this is all too real it's all too serious and some schools especially my school take it not too serious they don't take it seriously enough and it's so frustrating when kids are literally my last drill I almost started crying and these kids were just talking in the corner eating a sandwich I'm like ah it made me so mad and my teacher was trying her hardest and it just didn't work out and that it makes no sense to have drills that don't work. I mean, and then I think kind of the common thread is between all of us talking today is just that these don't work. Mm -hmm. And I think that the problem is there's no state-issued or district-issued standards for how schools are supposed to act, what they're supposed to do, what resources they're supposed to provide. There are no standards. It's like almost the Wild West 
of you know trauma informed support <laughs> where it's like no one is offering what students need because how is a district who doesn't have people who are trauma informed supposed to make these rules for teachers who probably aren't trauma informed it doesn't the system doesn't work there's no accountability it's just people kind of making decisions for how these drills will proceed and i think for a lot of the principals or superintendents who may make these decisions they didn't grow up in an environment where these active shooter drills were so common so how are they supposed to know what kind of resources students may need after you know it's it's a really huge expectation to put on people who aren't experienced in this area to make these huge decisions that affect the well-being of their students in such a great way. You know, you're going right at the question that that Trinity just asked on Twitter. My friends and I don't think our school is doing enough to prepare for a possible shooting. What do we do? And you're going right at that point, both of you, in terms of we've got to have standardized policies and procedures for how this happens. But more important than that, what happens afterwards? How are we taking care of people? How are we supporting people? And I'm wondering, you know, some of you work on the youth line. Um, the rest of you work with the Be Well Advisory Board. You've got some tips and tricks for self-care. And as we have this heavy-duty conversation, what are your tips and tricks that you would offer for self-care? Because I have another question that just came in from a parent. What can I do as a parent? This is from Donna, also on Twitter. What can I do as a parent when my kid is terrified to go to school for weeks after a shooting happens, even though it's not in the same state? Can you talk about how you care for yourself and your friends and what you would recommend? I think creating a support network for yourself. And I mean, a support network looks different to different people. I mean, for me, it's like my therapist, my dad and my best friend. That's three people right off the top of my head that I know that I can turn to and talk to if I need to talk or people who will even just go out and do something like get food with me if I'm just in a place where I need to kind of remove myself from a situation. So establish your personal support network. And it can be anyone. It can be teachers, school counselors, friends, people around you that you trust and that you can count on in moments like that. And then also just come up with things that not only that you enjoy, but things that will bring you kind of a sense of relaxation and a sense of calm maybe something like riding riding your bike going on a run calling your friend anything like that and it, they look different for everyone there's no right or wrong way to you know develop your self-care plan and your support network but even taking those steps and if you're in the position of a parent have a conversation with your kid about how you can take those steps with them if they need your support. Ask them what they need from you in that moment. Do they need you to listen? Do they need you to take them to talk to a professional? Have an open and honest conversation with them about what steps you can do to help support them in developing their plan for what they need to do next. I completely agree with Sakia. And uh, self-care, this whole idea of self-care is something that we talk about a lot on Youthline. And when I say a lot, I mean every day, <laughs> multiple times a day. Um, you know, uh, and Z as Zakia said, uh, it's it's about having that support network, your friends, your family, people you know can support you. And then it's about having things that you can do to to just kind of relax and to to kind of take your take your guard down for a while. For me, it's instruments, my guitar, 
I hold it very close to me. Um, it helps me express a lot of things that I struggle with expressing with any other method of communication. Just it it helps a lot. And uh, I think in addressing that question about, you know, the parent who's who's worried about, you know, their kid being scared, that's something that needs to be validated. Um, because the fact is, telling people not to be scared has never worked once. Like, ever. I think that 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 fear needs to be validated and then you know work needs to be done from there uh you know establish that support system for that individual child establish that um you know those things that they can rely on to you know get that stress down and i think that that's a lot of that will that will yield a lot of positive results um i completely agree i think it's super important to take care of yourself um like um the fellow people here have been saying um i also think um if you really do have a lot of fear or you have passion or drive for this um to take action too that's another um thing on the flip side of it take care of yourself but also um be informed um go read about it look up articles about it um try to get in contact with your representatives in um, your area um express your concerns to them um get involved and just do what you can also um, to take care of yourself, but then also like this issue. Because I think um, this is a super student-led movement, and I think that we need as many people as possible. So if this is something that you're scared about, you can take that passion and that fear that you have and put it to good use. You know, uh, as we begin to wrap up today, I want to pose one final question to our group, to each one of you to answer. I'm going to give you a little bit of a hypothetical here. You have a microphone. You're on a podcast, Talk to Be Well. And you have an opportunity to say something to your school's principal, your school's administrator, your state lawmaker, or whoever it is that you want to say. And you have an opportunity to say, what is the one thing that you want them to hear about school shooter drills and the impact they have on you? What is the one piece of advice you want to give them that you as a student who's experienced this for a good 13 years, only you can say? And I don't know who wants to start, but... Uh, I will. <laughs> you go. Um, I would say, you know, this is especially towards, uh, you know, legislators who uh, realistically, they have the power, right? They have the power to immediately or at least semi-immediately make this concrete change. And what I would say is stop ignoring us. Stop shrugging us off. Yes, we are kids, but we are kids who have gone through something in our school that you cannot even imagine. You can imagine you can imagine the drills that, you know, the older generations had in their time. You can imagine, you know, bombing drills. You can imagine everything you had to go through, but this this is something you can't. And we are speaking up not because, you know, for me personally, I didn't get involved with the gun violence prevention movement because I thought, oh, that looks fun. Like, that looks like really, like that'll work out really well for me. Like that's, that, that looks fun. I got involved because I sat down and I realized that my legislators were not protecting me. They were not taking the actions necessary. What we saw in New Zealand after the Christchurch shooting, immediate, immediate change is being swept into New Zealand, and only time will tell what we'll see from those results. 
there needs to be dialogue between students and legislators, not only from the students talking, but with the legislators listening. And that's what I would say. That's what I have said. <laughs> um, I just want to say and make the point that we are not numbers on a page. We are not a statistic. We live lives. We live lives just like you do. This is not just to like administrators, but like to anybody out there. Like, we're not just numbers on a page or a count of how many heads there are left in the world. No, that's we live our lives. We have feelings. We have we matter. You know, how long until your kid becomes statistics? A statistic how long until we become a statistic like that's that's not something we should be asking ourselves but we are and so put yourself in that position put your kid in that position put any loved one of yours it doesn't have to be a student it could be an elderly home it could be a mall it could be a, a parking lot like it doesn't matter if someone has intent to harm they're gonna harm so put yourself in that position and try and see the fear that we see and validate our feelings this isn't some kid movement that we're looking for attention no we want change and we don't want just some um <laughs> i guess what i would want to say is just listen to us we're not ill-informed we're not naive um our opinions and our action is the product of real fear and real experiences that we have on the day-to-day -day basis and some of us are of voting age. I'm of voting age. I am a part of the American political system. And I want my opinions to be listened to. I want to be heard. And I want my lawmakers to take my fears seriously. And that is the thing that I really wish that I could kind of scream. <laughs> um, and sometimes expressing these views. I mean, I feel like I've been reiterating the same points about gun safety and gun legislation for a long time. And I'm sure a lot of people have been yelling them kind of into the void for even longer. And I just want to feel heard and I want to feel understood. And I want them to know that I don't think it's fair that they give lobbyist groups like the NRA a larger platform than their constituency. And I, I don't think that that's fair at all. And I, I wish that that was something that they would listen to and take into account that I'm a real person who is taking up this action and taking my opinion so that I can survive and I don't have to be scared to go to school and I can focus on my education and not have it be interrupted by an active shooter drill. I would probably just reiterate what everyone else has said, but also just remind them that this is not going to stop. This is not going to end. Um, this momentum is going to keep on going and going. And I don't know how many like more big events that we need to like um, get your attention. But change like needs to, like there's no other way. I can't even. It's just so funny to say like change needs to happen because it seems so redundant and stupid and silly and simple. But it does. Um, methods like having school lockdowns like we talked about before um, ineffective. Um, so the things that needs to happen is real political change. I want to add on. Uh, my one last thought uh, to something Zakia said about voting, um, because I think that that's important. I think it's important that our lawmakers remember that thousands of kids in the U.S. turn 18 every year. You've heard four of us, but we are only a small fraction of people that feel this way. And you may be keeping your seat now by shrugging off the issue of gun safety and 
shrugging off this idea of keeping kids safe in their schools, which shouldn't be a partisan issue, by the way. But the opinion of, you know, voters is changing. And if you want to keep your seat, then we need you to make change. Yeah. See you in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really want to thank uh, Vivian, Leah, Zakia, and Finn, not only for their bravery and sharing their opinions today, but for giving voice to the millions, the millions of students who are struggling with school shooter drills in their schools, who are struggling with all of the different outcomes that are happening, whether intended or unintended, the unintended consequences of our best intentions are causing harms to our students today. I want to thank everyone for listening and sending in your questions. I know we didn't get to them all. We will follow up on social and answer questions for those who, who chimed in. If you want to get more involved in the conversation, please follow the Be Well Student Advisory Council on Instagram at work to be well. That's work, the number two, be well. Or visit us online at worktobewell.wellbeingtrust.org. You can follow our podcast at hashtag talk to be well. That's hashtag talk, the number two, be well. And you can also follow the Wellbeing Trust on social media. We've shared a lot of tough things today. And I don't know about you, but I'm feeling pretty triggered. I'm thinking I'm going to go engage in some self-care. I'm thinking that there's probably some type of nice mask in my future. Maybe a little jasmine tea. <laughs> but definitely, if you've shared things today that are hard for you, please reach out. Someone is always there to listen. Help is available at the Youth Line for peer support. Call 877-968-8491 or text TEEN, the number 2, TEEN, to 839-863. Also, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline is available 24 hours a day by calling 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-TALK. We look forward to a future conversation on more mental health topics with our youth panelists. I want to remind everybody that the opinions shared here today were the opinions of our very brave students, and they don't represent the opinions of their schools, Providence St. Joseph Health, Wellbeing Trust, Youthline, or anyone else who may be affiliated with this podcast. Thank you. Thank you.